0: 28 the gospel of matthew we want to teach on reaching the world we had a fifth sunday of course our fifth sundays typically are missions sundays but i want to minister specifically about missions about evangelism and world outreach i want us to see what the scriptures teach Then we can contrast that with a variety of different approaches. So, the Gospel of Matthew 28, we will be looking at a number of scriptures this evening, but beginning with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. So that passage is the, the basis of the teaching tonight, although we're going to look at a number of different texts. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that you have committed your gospel to us, that you brought the knowledge of your son into our lives. We are so happy that we can be involved with world outreach, letting people know about what your son did when he died on the cross for our sins. So now as we look into the scripture, we pray that you'd edify us, encourage us, and Lord, where we may have been weak in this area, convict our hearts and point us to your Son in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen. You will note that the world that we live in has more than 200 nations. We probably have, I don't know, seven or 8,000 different languages and dialects on this planet. In order for the gospel to reach the places it needs to reach, people have to cross borders. People have been crossing borders forever. When the Lord said, go into all the world and teach the nations, he knew borders had to be crossed, languages had to be learned, customs had to be acquired, and in some cases, you had to even be around people that you did not necessarily think were uh, civilized. And That would have been in ancient times just like today. Imagine a world where... He had cannibals on several continents. Now, there's a there's certain places in the world even today where you run into that. And I know when Tiff and I first started going to Kenya, there was an article in the newspaper about a man who was brought up on charges because of cannibalism. He had eaten his father and his wife and his children after they died. And when they had him in the court, his statement to them was, what did I do that was wrong? They were my family. So when you hear that kind of mentality, then, of course, you're immediately repulsed by it. But I'm telling you, that's the thinking that you can find in a lot of places, even to this day, in a lot of places. So imagine what it must have been like here when Jesus was given this command to his disciple. Verse 18 makes it very plain. He has all power in heaven and in earth. So this earth belongs to God. He has the right to tell people to go, even when passports are not held in possession, sometimes when visas are not had by the people that are going, people have in faith trusted that God would provide for them when they got to the border. And the Lord has done that repeatedly because someone read this text and this text became for them the word of God to go. Now, J. Oswald Smith, who was a great uh, missionary pastor in Canada, he made the statement that even if you don't feel called to go, you still are called to send a substitute to ensure that someone else is making sure that they reach the nations. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Notice Verses 15 through 18. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now all of those signs that are mentioned there you can find throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. Let's not forget the time when uh, the people were with the prophet Elijah and they drank whatever whatever kind of soup was in the bowl or cup. And then they said, oh my master, there's death in the pot. But none of them died. None of them died. And in the book of Acts you can find all of the other ones that are mentioned there. But here's my point. In verse 15, the Lord says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So if the Lord expects us to minister to every creature, he expects every creature to be reachable. And people have to go through great hardships in order to uh, reach some people. It was just maybe a year ago or two years ago when I think an ORU graduate found some island way out somewhere in the Indian Ocean and some people who lived there had not heard the gospel. These were primitive people. I think the country, I forget which country it was, even told people you are not allowed to go to this island because these people will kill you. And they had ships through the years that would go back and forth and they would throw spears at the people in the ships. In fact, when I was doing the research on it, they only had one picture one photograph in all these years of the people that were on that island because these folks were so uh, quiet and they would hide but they you know just a whole lot of intermarriage within their tribe on that island but this O.R.U. grad went there and of course he just wanted to share the gospel and they killed him they killed him he just wanted to tell them about jesus now somebody would say well i just don't understand why anybody would waste their time and go over there and do that. Well, he didn't think he was wasting his time. He felt like he was obeying the commission of God, the great commission. Go and tell someone. And let's never forget, the only reason the gospel is out here in these parts that we're in right now is because somebody got up on a horse and started riding out here as a circuit, riding preacher. Somebody felt a call from God to leave the East Coast, to come out here and live in dugouts and try to minister to people who came here to homestead and so on and so forth. So people are important to God, and God knows that in order to get people to go minister to other people, God has to give them something out of the scripture, and then sometimes a divine visitation to cause them to want to go. The Lord can change someone's mind just like that. A five-minute daydream. See, one teaching. A tract a. Picture that they see. One trip abroad, or sometimes just to another people group, can change a person's life. Turn to the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Notice beginning with verse 46 through 49. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and it behooved Christ to suffer to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And all of you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now let's go to the Gospel of John now, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, and look at verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, this is important because in all of these texts, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' concept of missions involves the proclamation of the good news. See? The proclamation of the good news. We emphasize that because if it's going to be called missions or Christian evangelism, then there has to be the proclamation of Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. Otherwise, it's not missions. If we're not telling the story of what Jesus did, then what's the point of it? Even John knew this and you can see that in chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 his writings he felt should lead people to Christ these things were written that you might have faith in Jesus so missions involves literature it can involve the media it can involve anything but it needs to lead to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and people who don't want to do that and say things like, well, I just think you should lead people to their own culture and their own beliefs. You're free to believe that, but it's not Christian missions. It's not Christian evangelism. Jesus has said repeatedly in the Gospels, go, and then he told them what to do when they arrived. Teach, preach, and baptize. Somebody comes along and says, I don't think we should bother people in their culture. Then you're on the wrong page because you're standing in opposition to what Jesus said. Jesus said, go teach them what I've commanded you to observe. That's what he said. Okay, so the literature that anybody brings to people, if you're trying to lead them to Christ, it should be clear enough so that people understand what it is. And then Luke tells us to expect an endowment of power. He says, now look, before you guys launch out into the uttermost parts of the earth, ensure that the mighty power of the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Uh, Without the Spirit of God, missions is kind of hard to do. Yeah. In fact, without the, the Spirit of God, it's near impossible because What you will find is that people have a whole lot of head knowledge and a lot of plans and designs and schemes. But the bottom line is if the Holy Spirit doesn't get involved, then there's not a whole lot going to happen anyhow. So Jesus said to the disciples, You just wait right there in Jerusalem. There's going to be a power that comes upon you. The day of Pentecost, that's exactly what happened. 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Miraculously, they began to speak with other languages. And Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 16, As you go, expect confirmatory signs of my presence. Now, the disciples were never told to believe that supernatural signs and wonders were only for Jerusalem, or only for the period that Jesus was here. They were told, as you go, expect, see, expect, these signs shall follow them who believe. It doesn't say the people who deceive, or the people who are skeptical, or the people who say, I'm not sure. It says those that believe that means that it was the intention of Jesus that no one go to the mission field if they didn't believe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've sat through missions, conferences and missionary uh, messages where the person who was teaching was even sharing in his message. He didn't believe God did supernatural things today. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, why would anyone give you a dollar? Why would anybody I mean you 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 you're telling everybody, please don't support me. Yeah. If if you don't believe that God is going to help you supernaturally out there, then what's the point in going? What's the point in going? And and why spend a whole lot of time with people who are opposed to Jesus getting involved with his creation and creating the kind of circumstances that are going to lead them to God. I mean, I could stand up here all night long and tell stories of people I've met who have had visions of the Lord coming to them or an angel or somebody coming to them, sharing the good news with them in a dream. And because of that dream, it changed their whole family. Yeah, changed their whole family. And then somebody else comes along, and somebody picks up a book, and they read the book, and the the author of the book says, well, you know, we we don't believe God does stuff like this today. Well, I'm glad that author didn't write the Bible, because the, the, the chapters that we have in the Bible demonstrate from Genesis 1, straight on out the back of Revelation, that God is a supernatural God, and he hasn't changed at all. Now, there are different things that he does in different generations. I mean, don't be expecting any more virgin births where there's going to be a Messiah. It's just not going to happen. And don't don't, don't, don't run around here looking for somebody else to die on the cross, bearing somebody's sin. It's it's never going to happen. But I do want you to understand that the hand of God is, is actively involved with the nations of the world and he is hearing the prayers of his people and he is answering them the way that he wants to answer them even though there are books in circulation that says the hands of God are bound and restrained and while they're writing those books they're also telling you at the end of the book come on pray a prayer of salvation they expect God to answer a prayer of salvation, but they don't expect God to answer these other prayers. So the missionary who's called to go needs to know this before they leave. And unfortunately, we haven't always had people who've known that. But let's not forget that in the English language, the word God, the first two letters of the word God are go. See? Go. And that's what Jesus has told people. Go into all the world he told them what to do when they get there preach and teach and baptize so today uh, people want to do christian missions but they want to do it in a humanitarian way so we we remove any element of the proclamation of the gospel deny supernatural help from the lord and, and in many cases they don't even want to talk about jesus and I've, I've spoken to denominational people who have said to me, I just think that when we go overseas, we should dig wells for people, put together maybe a clinic for folks, but not be so pushy about the gospel. We can show who Jesus is by our acts of love. Now, come on. I've had a whole lot of people overseas give me a cup of water, and they didn't even tell me who, what they believed had no idea on this earth whether or not they believed in anything. And we need clinics and we need nurses and we need dentists and we need people to clean up somebody's womb because, I mean, just, just a little cleaning will help somebody live another 20 years if, if they can avoid the kind of germs that set in and then later on affect their life, might even turn into gangrene or something like that. But someone must share the good news with them. Yeah, must share the good news. I visited with some ladies right when I first came out to Nebraska one time, and it was probably maybe nine or ten of them gathered at a senior center one time. And so I went there, and all these different ladies who belonged to different churches were sewing these these blankets. And for their denomination, they will send the blanket over. And so I'm asking them questions, and you know they're they're telling me, well, you know this blanket's going to keep a whole lot of people warm. And young people are going to be happy about the blanket. I was excited. I said, that's good because people don't want to be cold, you know, when the when the temperature drops. But I said, okay, the people who are taking the blanket over and the people who are going to receive the blanket over there and give the blanket to the folks that are over there in Africa because that's what they were sending it. I said, well, are they going to share the gospel? Well, we don't want to be too pushy. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Because... What difference does it matter if a person goes to hell warm or cold? We're trying to keep them from going down. We want them to go up. And we want them to go up if they hear the gospel. So it has to be told. So the humanitarian efforts are important, but we still need to have people sharing the gospel. If if someone's involved with feeding the hungry, that's a good thing. I think the Peace Corps is a great organization, but the, the moment the Peace Corps tells their workers you can't share the gospel with people and you shouldn't get involved with churches, then it 's just best to leave the Peace Corps alone because a humanitarian effort that is set apart from the Lord Jesus Christ it's not going to bless a whole lot of people. you know you can do some things physically, but if you want to change a life eternally, you've got to put Jesus in the middle of it, and that would be the same with uh, so many. People that I've met who taught English as a second language, which is a great job to have overseas. But if you don't want to share Jesus with people, don't call it missions. Call it teaching English as a second language. I came over to be a teacher because I want to help people. understand English. But if you're going to come here and raise money from churches and tell them, I'm going over to be a missionary. My main vocation is going to be to share Jesus Christ. And I'm taking the job to teach English to give me an opportunity to go through an open door to reach people. Then make sure that you use that opportunity to share the gospel. And anyone that you talk to who's involved with some kind of secondary vocation like that, you let them know if you're going to raise money in Jesus name then do something in Jesus' name. Yeah, do something in in, in his name. There are a lot of organizations uh, that are busy today around the world that are uh, buying and purchasing people that are caught up in the sex slave trade overseas. And uh, people are raising money in churches, and they're giving all kinds of thousands of dollars to purchase little gals and sometimes little boys that are over in Bangladeshi and places like that, and pull them out of that kind of lifestyle. Okay, but once you get them out of that lifestyle, you you got to try to change their heart and their mind through the gospel because if you don't, this is all they've ever known. So you take them out of that setting and put them over here. If you don't challenge them with the gospel, then they're going to revert back to what they know. They'll go back to selling themselves. And the attrition rate, is pretty high. Among some of these folks in that particular trade. Sure, they're glad to be purchased out. They're glad to be out of that. But the promiscuity is in them so, so deep now that it's hard to get free from it. becomes addictive, especially for the ones that really enjoyed uh, the physical pleasure of it. So the proclamation of the gospel is what changes lives. This is where mission becomes a, a powerful thing. So Jesus, he was aware of all of these things. The need for medical help, he was aware of the need to feed the hungry, to clothe the people. He was well aware of the kind of promiscuity that was going on in the different nations, and he certainly uh, knew about people who were going to different countries that were teaching different things. But he said, teach, preach, and baptize. Now, you have to have a way into certain places. A closed country like Saudi Arabia... You can't just go in there and say, I want a a traveler's or tourist visa. They don't let you in. You have to have an invitation from somebody from the royal family or from some big corporation that you're going to work for. And then when you get there, you can get involved with the underground church kind of the same way uh, we did. So what I did when I was stationed there at the embassy or the consulate in Jeddah is I had a diplomatic pouch. And that meant that anything that came to me couldn't be checked. So I would contact all the different leaders of the underground churches, and I would have them put together whatever it was they needed to order. And at a certain time in each quarter, I'd give all of them my address, and I'd say, have everything you ordered for Sunday school material, for Christian growth material, have it mailed to my address, and I knew it couldn't get checked because of my diplomatic pouch. I was preaching in an underground church every uh, Friday and ministering to Somali and Sudanese people, leading folks to Christ. I know what it is to lead a man to Christ who's got more than one wife, see, and, and share the good news with these people so that they would know that the Lord loves them. Well, if, if we don't have other ways in, sometimes we can't get to the people. So if I hadn't been in the military, there'd been no way I'd ever got there. And some of my friends who have worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators, Frontiers, uh, Muslims, uh, Pioneer Muslims for Christ, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and stuff like that. You, you can't get on these ships without a particular vocation or trade. You can't get into these countries without sometimes knowing the host country language or something like that. But whatever you need to do in order to get through the door, you go through the door, but once God opens the door, you make sure you represent him. See, Represent him. If we're praying, Jesus, help me to do missions, then when he helps you, do missions in his name. And there's always a degree of risk involved. Tiffany and I had gone to uh, Alexandria, Egypt, one time. And look, I had to preach in the the church there. And when I took Tiffany there, things were so different because I had preached in that same church 20 years prior. And and by the time I brought Tiffany there, Egypt in that part right on the Mediterranean Sea was in the middle of a full-scale Muslim revival where just about every woman you ran into was covered and... They, they just You couldn't see hardly any hands, any faces or anything like that. But in that church, I knew that I had the, the heads of most of the Middle Eastern missionary groups that are reaching North Africa and Central Africa preaching the gospel. And I knew that many of them were there with their wives and their children, and they understood that at any moment somebody could break through that door and throw them out of the country. But that's what they felt called to. Now other husbands and other wives, they would tell you there's no way on this earth I'd move to the other side of this planet and subject my family to that kind of persecution or isolation or trouble that I'm going to go through. But see, if it's in them, if God puts it in their heart, then they're going to go and they're going to do it. Uh, when, When we were there that one time and the young man who was Muslim fell in love, I guess, through the internet with a girl from Canada and then... He flew from Egypt to Canada to be with this little gal while he was there. I guess the gal's family or somebody led him to Christ. So he became a Christian. And, of course, he called back, told his family. He was excited. He said, I've become a Christian. This is wonderful. His Muslim family, I don't think they were too pleased. They didn't let him know it, but they weren't too pleased. So they they waited because he decided he was just going to stay in, can- in Canada, and so they waited a little while, then they called, and they said, your father is very sick, he's dying, could you please come home as quick as you can? So he did, he made the reservation, he and his new bride got on the airplane and came back to Egypt, and what happened was, when he got to the airport, then the Muslim secret police were there, took his passport from him, separated him from his new wife, said the, the marriage wasn't valid because he was a Muslim and they didn't represent recognize Christian marriages, took her off to some isolated, abandoned building, and then took him off and started beating him and torturing him. So Tiff and I were staying at the home of a friend of ours. The phone call comes in the middle of the night from that little gal who happened to have a little cell phone or something on her, said, they gave me... When I left Canada, they told me you were the international pastor, so you're the only number I have. Here's what's going on. So he and I get up in the middle of the night. We leave our wives in the place. We drive to some building, you know, in the middle of the night, trying to figure out where we're going, and we're coming past all these buildings just looking around. Not a light on anywhere. And we finally get to the building, and here she is in that place, and they dropped her off a couple of days before, And all she had was maybe a bottle of water. I'm not even sure if she even had that. But I mean, just just hardly nothing in that room. Certainly wasn't any furniture in there. But once we got there, then here comes some people connected with her husband's family. And I'm on the inside with my friend. And we got that little Canadian girl. And outside the door is the mother of the young man who was formerly Muslim but became a Christian, she's out there with her family banging on that door, and she's yelling in Arabic, I'll kill my son. I'll see him dead before I see him married to a Christian. See? Middle of the night. But yet, my friend who's pastoring the international church, and then myself who's there, and who for years just had a big, super huge heart to, to reach the Muslim people, we're there because we have a heart to reach them. Now they have, a, they have a heart, some of them have a heart to kill us, but yet we feel a calling to reach them. And, and it's not something that you can talk out of somebody. My family did everything they could to try to talk me out of going to Jordan to learn Arabic, to preach the gospel uh, to the folks in the Middle East. The more they talked, the more I couldn't wait to go. Because when God puts it in your heart to reach people, then you have to do it, and it, it, it takes you beyond the sentiments and the feelings and the emotional ties that you have with people that are your blood kin. Following God becomes the most important thing you can do when you want to do when God ever starts dealing with your heart about missions. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about it. So, so Jesus. He, he was aware of a lot of the different kinds of activities that could have been used and done during that time, but he said, you make sure you preach the gospel. Now, people today, they love the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but they don't like to tell people the story of the fact that he fed the 5,000, he did it supernaturally. We, we just think if we just set up a soup kitchen, then that's a wonderful thing. Soup kitchens are fine if in the soup kitchen we're going to preach Christ. Yeah, I preached in an old mission. One time in Nashville, Tennessee, the people running the mission and the soup kitchen, he was a former pimp, and she, his wife, was one of his former prostitutes. And they both ended up in jail. But when they came out of jail, they were Christian. And so they started this rescue mission to to try to reach as many people in the terrible part of town there. And so these folks had heard me in Cleveland, Tennessee ministering. So here I come, and and they invite me there, and I walk in. I'm, I'm telling I never, i would never seen the like. You know, just walking there, seeing all these different kinds of homeless folks and uh, people that needles and drug addicts and every other kind of thing there and they took me back there to where the chapel was and i mean nobody came in and sat down these folks were just making all kinds of noise and people wandering about and i'm telling you if you can preach in a place like that you're called you're called and so i i got started with the message preached the gospel the people finally settled down they started praying for the sick, and a boy jumped up out of a wheelchair and god had healed and so because of that meeting That opened up another door to go to another location to start preaching Christ. So here's my point in all of this. If we make sure that we do the good deeds while at the same time proclaiming the gospel, then what we're doing is Christian. See, what we're doing is Christian. If you're going to work on somebody's shoes and not tell them about about Jesus, you're a good cobbler. Yeah. But but if you if you want them to know about the king, then you can start believing that what you're doing is, is some sort of mission. Now Let's go to the book of Acts and let's look at chapter one. Look at chapter one. I want to show you how the book of Acts points the way for every church in every generation, regardless of what the denominational tag may be. We ultimately have to come back to the book. So Acts chapter 1, notice verse, verse number 8. You'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So the book of Acts is part 2 to the Gospel of Luke, written by the same author. He had already told them, stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. This happened on the day of Pentecost. Happened again, Acts chapter 8, again, Acts chapter 10, again, Acts chapter 19. But, but here's, here's my point, though. The principle is, is this. If it is mentioned in the Gospels, and then it is applied in the book of Acts, and then explained in the epistles, then we as a body of believers need to do everything we can to make sure we live that kind of life. If it's mentioned in the Gospels, you can see the application of it in the book of Acts. And then it is defined and outlined in the epistles. You've got to trust God. This is what he wants in his church. May not be what the elders want. May not be what the board members want. But it is what God wants in his church. And and while, while everybody else is saying this isn't important, I'm telling God says it's very important because even in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, you can see where he, Peter is preaching to them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's for everyone. To say, oh God, take this life and fill this vessel with everything you have available for in accordance with this book. That should be our prayer. That should be our desire, our earnest passion. And whenever people say uh, to me, well, I think that was just for ancient times. Verse 39, the promises to you and to your children and to everybody afar off. That's threefold. It's for you, it's for your seed, and it's for everybody in the generations to come in the far nations abroad, they're going to hear about this. It's not for a handful of people. And this is why, this is why missions in so many places doesn't, doesn't do uh, everything that it, that it needs to do. OK, uh, Notice then, in chapter two verse 14, Peter stands up, he lifts his voice and he begins to preach. Because there always has to be an explanation of what's taking place and why it is taking place. People need to understand. Look at chapter 3. Notice verse number 12. Here was a man that was healed at the gate called Beautiful. A crippled man, a lame man was healed in verse 11. But verse 12, Peter saw it, answered the people and said, Why are you marveling at this or looking upon us earnestly as though we did this by our own power of holiness? made this man to walk. And then he explains, this is what God did. This is what God did. And and he makes it very plain here that it has nothing to do with us living holy. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with our own particular name, but it's the simple fact that God has done this. Now look at chapter four. Look at chapter four. Where is he at? Is he in the room in there? Or is he... He, oh, he's on the floor. Mr. William, chapter 4, look at verse number 5. Verse number 5. It came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and all of these people were gathered together in Jerusalem. Now here they're trying to put together some persecution Because of what happened in chapter three, this is naturally going to happen. If God starts moving, you're going to have scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees to say, look, God doesn't do that. And we don't want God doing that because it upsets their little apple cart. Now, Think about it. If you've been teaching people for for fifteen hundred years. That God doesn't save people supernaturally and certainly doesn't do it in a dramatic way. And then all of a sudden people start saying these things are happening and then they're being saved in a dramatic way. You either have to believe what God is doing or you just start denying what is taking place in, in the scripture. Look at, look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 verse number 1. In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied. So now we're talking about men and women. See, there was, there was some conflict here between the Greeks and the Hebrews. So then you can see in verse number seven, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. Not just men, but men and women, boys and girls. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the church is growing because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of the operation of the Holy Spirit, and the people who were born of God, they wanted to fulfill the mission of Christ. Go and tell other people. All of us should have that desire to tell other people, to support those who do tell other people. Because if we don't, who's going to tell the story? Now be be honest, when, when you think of When you think of fellowships and and churches in our own region, I mean, many people are quite satisfied and content to go year after year after year after year and never witness to anybody. It doesn't disturb their conscience. It doesn't bother them at all. And and they don't see a problem with it at all that that, that they don't witness. And and when we think of missionaries and, and people who are evangelists and telling the story there are some fellowships they wouldn't let a missionary through the door to save anybody in that church and the reason for that could be many it could be they don't want a missionary to come in then a whole lot of money goes out of the church and then they think oh my goodness if money goes out of the church how in the world are we going to pay the bills and as i've heard so many pastors out here tell me well pastor daryl we, we we just don't have some of the stuff that you guys have I mean, we were dividing up the utility bills amongst three families last week You're going to continue to divide up the utility bills amongst three people or three families unless we come back to what God says for us to do, witness and share the good news with people. God didn't tell you or me to convert anybody, but he did tell us to share the good news, to proclaim the good news, to tell the story. And as we tell the story, then God the Holy Ghost is able to bring conviction and minister to heart's and to lives. Look at chapter 8 now, in verse number 1. We're not going through the whole book, just this first half here. Acts chapter 8. Notice verse 1. Saul was consenting unto his death. He was involved with Stephen's Stephen's murder. And at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So notice. Everybody was scattered, men and women, boys and girls going with their families, telling the story of Jesus and his salvation. Everybody has to tell the story because everybody has a testimony. If you're a young lady, an older lady, you have a story and a testimony that needs to be told. People need to know how you became a Christian, why you're a Christian. Same thing for the guys, all of us should make sure that wherever we go, we share the story. And if persecution were to break out here and we were driven out of Fair County and had to go in surrounding places because somebody decided they did not want a church to proclaim the truth of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, then wherever we go, we're obligated to tell people about God. You say, well, I don't want to bring any hardship into my life, then leave Christianity alone. Jesus said, take up my cross, take up your cross, follow me. That path leads to Calvary. Paul said, I die daily. The person who's looking for an easy Christian life where they'll never have any challenges or problems may not offend anybody, but they'll grieve the Holy Spirit every day. Yeah, I'd much rather have people angry with me and him pleased than to have him displeased. And everybody else happy with me. In our culture today, we like a very non-offensive situation where we don't anger anybody. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you can see men and women went out different places. Then verse 5, Philip being one of them, he went down to the city of Samaria, and it says that he started a soup kitchen. Does it say that in verse 5? What does it say he did? He preached Christ. See? He wasn't opposed to feeding people, and he didn't have a problem with people eating, but he knew, and Jesus knew, and I know that the answer is to preach Jesus, to tell people about the king. That that is absolutely the answer. And again, if someone is going to say, I'm going to be a full-time missionary, then the person ought to be willing to tell the story about Jesus. If if they don't, that's trouble. But, of course, uh, telling the story assumes you know the story. See? It assumes you know the story. And I, I've heard some, some stories of Jesus that didn't always tell the uh, story the way it ought to be told, certainly not in a way that could lead to people becoming a Christian. The, the image of Jesus that we have, has everything to do with the image we 're going to project, and that has everything to do with the story we 're going to tell if in your mind Jesus is someone that doesn't want to disturb people and doesn't want to affect other cultures and other people you 're going to have a problem with this book yeah. i was I was listening one time to an interview with uh, the pastor of our former president from a decade ago and he was on the platform doing a question and answer session and some muslims were out there and so they they said now called him by name and they said you 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 talk about christianity but are you one of these people that believe that that we should be going to muslim countries trying to convert them and so this former president's pastor said, I just don't believe that anywhere in the Bible, Jesus ever wanted anyone to go to another country or to another culture and try to pull those folks out of their culture. Well, of course, when he said that, I mean, I just looked at that television, looked at my Bible and wondered what, what have I been reading all of these decades, you see? But when when the, the the liberal mindset comes in and it becomes a, a matter of skepticism and you have a heart filled with unbelief, then you create the kind of Christ that you want to have. And by the time you remake Jesus over again in the image of man, you no longer have the book. Now, you do have a larger audience and a broader audience that will approve you and applaud you and say that's wonderful. But you've lost the significance of Jesus saying, I'm the truth I'm the way, I'm the life. You lose the importance of the verse that said, there's no other name under the heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So Don't ever, don't ever forget that. And, and to think that there are people going around the world today who believe that, then the question is, why are you there? See? Why are you there? Of course, I know why they're there. To dig a well, see? to drill for water, not to save souls. Look at chapter 9, verse number four so saul was persecuting the church i'm sure the believers were praying but verse four it says he heard a voice and it said to him saul saul why are you persecuting me so when the gospel starts over spreading the regions and going to different people and to different locations sometimes god gets involved without anybody even really knowing what's going on so here's a man that has a vision on the road to damascus and the folks in jerusalem don't know he's having the vision Just like we're here this evening talking about God, listening to the gospel, I can promise you on the other side of the planet there's somebody having a dream about the Lord or somebody having some kind of visitation that's changing their life forever. God does not need our permission or our approval to get involved with what's taking place in this world. God has never cared about any of the books that we write. He's never cared about any of our Sunday school curricula. It's never bothered him one iota that somebody gets up in the pulpit and says he doesn't do that. He just doesn't do it for them. But what he will do is look for these folks right here and go out of his way to change their their hearts and their lives. I, I think about Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and there was a man that was trying to find God, and he looked for him amongst the Jewish people. And the Jewish people said, "You're not born into this, so you can't get into this." They were totally exclusive. He tried to find this is his own testimony. He tried to find Jesus amongst the the Catholics of his day, and and uh, and they and, and he said that they prayed everything, so they were too inclusive. He didn't want to be with that and then when he looked at some of the other different religions he didn't want to have anything to do with that but he ends up in a cave foaming at the mouth crying out to God and then saying later that an angel named Gabriel came to him supernaturally empowered him to read and write and then the rest of his history he leads billions of people over the cliff with him into that darkness and now we got jihadists and everything else that honestly believe that if you put a bomb vest on and kill a bunch of people or murder a Jewish person, you please God. But there you had a 6th century Cornelius looking for God, but God didn't have a Peter to send to him. Think about that. Didn't have a Peter to send to him. The world would be a different place if there had been somebody who, who could have got the gospel message to this, to this man. So in in this day and age in which we're living right now, we've got to make sure we do everything we can to proclaim the truth and not allow people to intimidate us so that we're afraid to share uh, the gospel. Uh, Let's let's look again. Uh, Chapter 10 in the book of Acts, you can see that Cornelius had a vision. The Lord came to him, told him to send for Peter. He did. Simultaneously, Peter had a vision from the Lord where the Lord told Peter, stop being so prejudiced. Peter and Cornelius got together. Then you can see there, uh, starting with verse 34, Peter opened his mouth, preached the gospel to Cornelius' family and friends. The scripture makes it very plain. They became Christians. The power of God fell in that home, changed everything, because Peter came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, you can see in verse 5, Peter was placed in prison. He was put in prison, and the Bible says the church prayed without ceasing for him. And they never stopped praying. See, Now, James had already lost his life. Don't tell me they didn't pray for him. But even after James lost his life, they kept praying when Peter was arrested. Because many Christians today, if they pray for something and it doesn't work out, then they'll just give up on prayer and say, I'm not going to pray again. Not that early, church. They kept praying. Because they prayed with the expectation that God would do something wonderful and great. You don't know what God's going to do until you pray. But you need to pray. And by praying, you, you you can see the hand of God enter into your situation like it did here with Peter. And God sent an angel, and the angel had to kick Peter, who'd fallen asleep while everybody else was awake praying. And, and they said, Get up, we're walking out of this place. That's exactly what Peter did. And what did Peter do? He went to the house where he knew everybody was praying because he'd probably been praying with them when they were praying for James. He went back to that house, knocked on the door. Rhoda came over there, pulled the little thing, looked out there, said, who is it? Peter said, it's me, Peter. Oh, she said, it can't be you. See, they're praying for his deliverance. It can't be you. And she runs back in there and gets everybody. And sure enough, he, he, he comes in after they open the door and tells the story. And you've got to understand, God is in the process sometimes of answering your prayer while you're praying. Yeah, while you're praying. You just don't know what he's going to do. And then the last verse I give you here is in Acts chapter 13, verse number 2. Barnabas and Paul are in the church in Antioch, and you can see as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. So now you can see Barnabas and Saul have a specific task and assignment. Theirs is going to be to leave here and go to the nation's. That's not everybody's call. Philip went to Samaria. Peter pretty much stayed in Palestine, except for going north a little bit. But Paul and Barnabas, they went into the islands of the Mediterranean, went into Central Asia, and preached the gospel. That's where they felt called, the work to which I've called them. God hadn't called everybody to do the same thing. When my friends have asked me in the past, why are you in Nebraska doing rural ministry? This is where God called me. This is the work he's called me to do. There are other people, their their ministries are in the urban areas. That's where their heart is at. That's not where my heart is at. And if you, you know what God has specifically told you to do, then you can remain flat-footed and firm on that ground regardless of what prophecy comes or what anybody says to you. You know this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm content to do it until he speaks to me again. Yeah, you have to know. When you don't know, it can be a world of confusion when you're, you're not sure. And I've met plenty of people on the mission field who should not be on the mission field. Yeah. I've met ones with bad marriages. They ought to be at home. I've seen people on the mission field that are in charge of missionaries and pastoring churches. Nobody should have ever gave them a church or put them in charge of anybody. I've seen some that have been out there for 20 and 30 years, never even bothered to learn the language, but are out there collecting thousands and thousands of dollars every month, living the high life, beautiful apartments and stuff, Homes and everything, living in palatial mansions that are surrounded by walls. They would never be able to live that way here, but they know there's nobody from here coming to check on them out there. That's why, whenever we've sent money overseas, a pastor gets on that airplane and he chases that money right over there and makes sure that that money is going where it's supposed to be going. We don't ever just take for granted that somebody's going to do what they say they're going to do. Temptation is too great for many people. Amen. Yeah So missions, folks, this is uh, the heartbeat of God, and He is certainly wanting us to pray as, a, as a, uh, just a, a homework thing for, for young people and little people, you know, uh, teach folks how to pray for the nations. Yeah, Teach people, to learn that map, Learn the globe. I used to have a little map I kept on the wall when I was a teenager. I'd smack that map when I walked into my bedroom. And sometimes when I walked out of the room and I'd say, Nations, I'm coming to you. We used to have them afternoon prayer meetings over at Revival Tabernacle. I had a globe there at the church. I'd bring that globe down there to that altar. And When I got down on my face and prayed, I had that globe and I'd just start praying. Different countries, different people I knew in the different countries. Because this world is big and God wants us to have the burden on our heart That he has on his. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we are so happy that in a world with so many different cultures and people and gods and religions that people worship, that you are the only true and living God. That Everything else is a figment of people's imagination, that it's a superstition. We know you are the only existing God. We pray that you'd lead us and guide us continually and help us to be strong witnesses for you. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we do pray and everyone said, amen, amen.